Hello, everyone. Welcome to the penultimate chapter in our book. I am Patrick. And I'm Tony. And, uh, of course, uh, we're on the second to last chapter, uh, but probably like four, maybe five. Who knows? Well, maybe we'll just keep talking about this book for a while. Yeah. Uh, on on uh, Scott Christensen's book. Like we book. have been doing. Right? You know, yeah. why stop? Yeah. If it's so good, yeah. it's the never-ending story, you know? <laughs> just there's no Falcor at the end to, to ride against the bullies. Uh, so we're, uh, of course, covering... Uh, some of the final chapters of Scott Christensen's book, What About Evil? A Defense of God's Sovereign Glory. And uh, we've covered his uh, greater glory theodicy, focusing on not man at the center, belly looking, oh, woe is us, but looking at why there is a woe with us. And it's ultimately pointing to God's glory. So that's his theodicy that he's put forth. And we've covered kind of the incarnation, uh, the suffering servant, and uh, now uh, we're, uh, well, the suffering redeemer. And now we're talking about the cosmic redeemer, the uh, the the one that you make the movies about. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we are in chapter 16, the cosmic redeemer. And, uh, and he starts off by saying that the grand storyline of biblical redemption is not confined to the rescue and reconciliation of a handful of desperate souls. It encompasses the restoration of all things. And of course, he references Acts 3.21 there. Evil is met by Christ in two different ways. It's met by the humble and crucified lamb at the cross. That's Revelation 5.12. But it is also met by the resurrected one glorified as a lion, verse 5, who will return to earth in a colossal display of far-reaching power. It's the the one that the Jews wanted off the bat. It's it's the ones that they wanted to come in as, you know, the... Powerful their Messiah runs and, who comes yeah. in and takes over. All right, a, a colt that yeah. no one has ever ridden on. I'm, I'm sure it, th- this is just <laughs> the, the the Trojan horse type deal, and and he's going to come in and smack down the Romans. Yeah. Well, instead he dies. Right. Yeah. But then, but then he rises again, and yeah. that's that's the the upswing, and uh, and now we're we're getting to the to the higher J shape of <laughs> of 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 the the. Uh, meta narrative that's of, right of the history. upper part of the j there. right right, right. Yeah. that that's uh, that's what we want in the theodicy is is not was was the evil worth it and is all evil kind of taken um taken care of in the good and right. so that's that's what he's uh that's what he needs to uh do with this the second part and christensen tells us that uh, without christ as judge that is the lion Right. The glory he receives as the redeemer, the lamb, would be severely uh, muted. Right. Right. What enhances the glory of Christ lies in the juxtaposition of his inglorious path to the cross with his undiminished status as a risen Lord and king of the universe. And so he wants us to uh, consider this cosmic scope of redemption uh, and its implications for the greater glory theodicy that he's put forth. Right. Uh, so we start out with uh, Christ as both lion and the lamb. And so he says that we expect Christ as the judge of all humanity to met out justice. We have no warrant to assume his mercy. Mm. All perfect, all, uh, you know, big God uh, would take any slight against him as offense. And since he is all knowing, all perfect, all powerful, uh, obviously he's going to wipe us out. Right. Because right. we have done evil. We've done things against him. We, we're the we're the glitch in the computer program that the the person goes oh I don't like that and deletes That's the key right. delete yeah, yeah. <laughs> but God doesn't do that uh, so He has mercy a sin filled world ought to be prepared to face an unrelenting wrath and retribution 
not the offer of his pardon. So what we should expect is not heaven right. uh, or, you know, the, the, there's, there's no grace to be had. Uh, what we should expect uh, from all our stories is, is justice is, is, is the, the removal of, of, of the bad. What should confound us is that the son of God would himself meet up with the same wrath that he ordinarily and rightfully imposes on the guilty yet gladly heaves the severe weight of it on his own innocent shoulders. Mm. All because he is eager to pour out his mercy on many unworthy vessels of wrath. And of course, that's hearkening back to our Romans 9 there. Right. So he takes what we should get. Right. Is basically what he's saying. Right? Which, which is the, the, the surprise. It's, it's, the, it's the crux of the Christian message. It's, it's not uh, let your, your good, good deeds and your bad deeds be, be weighed upon the scales. It's not uh, if you can find some sort of enlightenment to transcend the ability to find enlightenment uh, uh there, there's no uh you're gonna live again as a bug until you're a really good bug and then you move up to the cow that's right uh, but uh but it's christ it's it's god coming down taking on human flesh and and paying the penalty and absorbing the wrath of mm. of of god and so Christensen tells us that the, the triumphant aspects of Christ's atoning death is known as the Christus Victor. Yeah, right? exactly. This metaphor serves as a bridge between Christ's humiliation, right, when he came uh, in the incarnation, and his exaltation at the end when he, you know, rises above and rules and that sort of thing. And so he tells us that while death marks the work of redemption that Christ accomplished during his first coming, Christus Victor, as a descriptor, of that atoning work begins to hint more directly at the raw power that uh, Christ's broader cosmic work of redemption employs in his resurrection and then obviously in his second coming. Right, right. So it's the, <clears throat> that, that powerful king um, motif uh, that, uh, that kind of we, we would come to expect. Christus Victus, uh, Victor uh, speaks primarily of the victory over evil that Christ's death secured, but it also encompasses the triumph over death that Christ's resurrection secured, the establishment of Christ's lordship and his exaltation, and the final triumph over evil forces that will occur at his second coming. So again, um, th- this is this is the the highlighting of his kingship. So uh, he his his first message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he throughout talks about him uh, as being Lord, uh, you know, c- commanding the seas, uh, commanding disease, uh, you know, commanding uh, the powers of, of evil uh, to, to flee from him. Uh, he uh, allows angels to um, come to him and, and minister to him uh, after the temptation. Uh, he shows his deity and his power and his lordship over those things and ultimately from death and then into into resurrected life and then establishing then his, his kingdom, um, as the, the, uh, as the slain lamb. And yeah. we, we see that in revelation and, uh, he'll, he'll get into that a little bit, but I thought that was a, a good point that he, he makes on, on how Jesus is seen kind of post, uh, resurrection or exaltation. Yeah. And, uh, so he gives us here, um, Hendrick blockers, uh, what he calls five key metaphors used in scripture to circumscribe the, the atonement, yeah. right, to kind of describe the atonement. The first one uh, is that it was a 
sacrifice of atoning value and efficacy, right? So it was, it, it was a sacrifice that accomplished this atonement. Secondly, it was a judicial execution and infliction of penalty. So this was capital punishment, mm-hmm. right? He was um, uh, paying the penalty for our sins, mm-hmm. right? So it was a judicial execution. It was a payment of ransom that redeems uh, beneficiaries unto freedom. Notice not only did he pay the penalty for our sins, but he ransomed us, right? So he brought us out of you know, this condition that we were in. So the penalty was paid in order to bring us out. Mm -hmm. That's the idea of ransom here. And so consequently, it was the victory won by the lion lamb over the enemy, the whole power of evil. So he um, sacrificed himself as an atoning sacrifice that accomplished this, uh, you know, uh, um, salvation for us. It was a payment, a judicial execution. It was a ransom that brought us out of the slave market of sin, as it were. And it was a victory, he says, won by the lion lamb over the enemy. Right. And so finally, synthetically, putting it all together, it was the true Passover, right? So notice he, what he's going to suggest here is that the Passover then is a picture of all of this happening. The Passover metaphor, he tells us, pulls all of the images together. The Paschal Lamb employs sacrificial and judicial aspects of the atonement. That's one and two that we said. Together with the ransom redemptive aspect, that's number three. The Passover, he says, celebrates the exodus and reminded Israel of how Yahweh went before her as a victorious deliverer, number four, rescuing her from uh, from the oppression that she, um, Israel found in Egypt, right. so it put it all to Passover. Put this all together. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's probably one of the reasons why the Passover, the 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 Exodus, is so heavily focused on in the Old Testament. It's calling back to remember when I did did this, and I'm I'm taking these these small steps in 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 uh, you know the uh, the being excluded from the land uh, with Babylon or Assyria or, you know, uh, however many, many times uh, Israel screwed up. It was, it was always, <laughs> they needed to step back and, and, and look back to what they were being redeemed from, from slavery into, into new life, into the promised land. And so that same motif is also hearkened uh, many, many times in the new Testament. And we, we see, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the law uh, as- ascribed here and, and the purposes of that and showing a high bar and uh, needing that high bar to be there so that when um, God himself in the flesh comes, that only he is able to um, fulfill all the law. Right, to meet and then, what needed to be done. And not just as a man, because then he's good for himself, right. but he has to be God in order to, to pay. Right, to apply it to yeah. everybody. Right, right. and yeah. throughout time, yes. too. Yeah. Yes. All right, so uh, from crisis to victory, the crisis of disobedience in Eden resulted in humanity's enslavement and sin. Furthermore, the whole world now lies in the power of the evil one. There's mm. our good friend Satan there. Yet the anticipation of victory over evil was already declared in Eden before the infestation started spreading across the crushed <laughs> landscape. The seed of Eve was prophesied to crush the head of the serpent. At the very moment, I mean, you know, God comes and... and Says on on your belly you will crawl and your seed and uh, and their uh, expulsion from from the garden, but it's a it's it's a foregone conclusion already. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's it's a done deal, the, the, right? The, the, there, there's your gospel message. Yeah. Uh, you you have creation one, 
you have order two, uh, the fall in Genesis three, and then slightly into Genesis three, you also have up. Oh, here's the end of the story. That's right. Well, this, this is this, <laughs> yeah. You don't have to read this anymore. Is a terrible right? story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, how dare you give, yeah. give me the ending to it? <laughs> so how is Satan defeated though? Uh, Christ defeats Satan again. The Christus Victor by removing the ground of Satan's accusation, which Jesus does by paying the penalty of sin. As, uh, as we call it, uh, penal substitution there. Right, right. So he's defeated by his inability to, even though he is the accuser, Christ removes like the ground. Accused. Yeah. <laughs> he removes the ground out from under him so we can't be accused anymore. It's it's a done deal, right? right. It's been paid for. Right. So it's no longer can he accuse us. Right. right. Yeah. Again, the, this this idea of law and, and court and order and reignship and and kingship is, is there um, in in... The, it, from Job to to um, the garden motif uh, spread throughout uh, the entirety of the Bible, and it's not uh, you know cartoons of the devil and God grabbing <laughs> grabbing different people and saying oh this one's mine. It's no, they're all gods, and Satan is allowed to operate within the confines of God's kingdom. Right, right, and so you know this Christus Victor ceases to be victory without. Uh, Christensen tells us penal substitutionary atonement, right? right? In other words, taking our place. Um, And um, uh, the New Testament consistently links Christ's triumph over evil and satanic powers by means of his atoning sacrifice on the cross. So Paul in uh, Galatians 1.4 gives a clear expression of this when he says that Christ gave himself for our sins, there it is, right, to deliver us from this present evil age, right? right? All right, so putting sin and Satan in perspective, very important. (laughs) The sacrificial judicial orientation in which scripture situates the atonement places Christ's victory over the forces of evil in perspective. We dare not emphasize the defeat of satanic powers as at the expense of Christ's defeat of human sin. Bondage to Satan has resulted from rebellion against God. That's uh, you know you are you are slaves to you children of your the, the of your father the devil. Uh, Christ subscribes that to to um, the, the Jewish leaders and something uh, you know unfathomable uh, unless if it's true. And so <laughs> so if if the holiest men who uh, take the 600 and some odd laws and then apply even more laws to it to, to and, try and, and get you to be holy. Right. And God's chosen people, yeah. right, who he separated and <laughs> redeemed, right, in yeah. the Exodus, yeah. right. But nope, not good enough. You're still <laughs> slave to, to, to Satan here. So that, that bondage to Satan has resulted from rebellion against God. Sin is not primarily the result of Satan's assault on our parents, Adam and Eve. Scripture lays the primary emphasis on Adam's disobedience to God. It's not... Satan came in and he uh, took Adam's hand and, and he placed it on the apple and then he brought it to his mouth and, <laughs> and chomped his chompers and, yeah. and massaged his throat so he swallowed. And like, oh, look, he did it. That's right. No, no, no. The devil made me do it. <laughs> yeah, right, right. He, he might ha- have, have the, the, the hissing in your ear, but, uh, but uh, it's, it's still uh, primarily on, on us. Yeah, so that's right. He is not an innocent victim of Satan's evil, but a willing participant in the plot to overthrow God's authority. Yeah. So, so even though Christ defeated Satan, uh, the issue was our sin, man's sin, right? And so we can't blame all of that. Uh, We can't blame it on Satan. Right. Right. It was the decision, the choice that Adam made to sin, basically to rebel against God, to go against uh, his commandments. And that was the issue that needed to be dealt with. Yeah. And if, if it was the other way, 
then the judgment would just be against Satan in the garden. Right. Uh, all right, out of here, and then so, some other means would would be employed. But right. but uh, he, you know he he's he's uh, cast out, um, but he still has some some leeway into the kingdom by by we we see in Job and Job one there. Um, but uh, Adam and Eve are, are thrust away from the garden. They're clothed. They're they're hidden uh, as as they wanted to be hidden in the garden. Uh, their 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 special relationship that they had walking uh, with with God in the the coolness of the garden, uh, an intimate relationship uh, that that doesn't come up until uh, Abraham, a friend of God, Moses, a friend of God, David, a, a friend of God. Uh, th- th- that co- close relationship is ascribed to each of those. everyone, welcome to the penultimate chapter in our book. I am Patrick. And I'm Tony. And uh, of course, uh, we're on the second to last chapter, uh, but probably like four, maybe five, who knows? So maybe we'll just keep talking about this book for a while. Yeah. Uh, on on uh, Scott Christensen's book. Like we book. have been doing. Right? You know, yeah. why stop? If yeah. it's so good, yeah. it's the never ending story, you know? <laughs> just there's no Falcor at the end to, to ride against the bullies. Uh, so we're, uh, of course, covering... Uh, some of the final chapters of Scott Christensen's book, What About Evil? A Defense of God's Sovereign Glory. And uh, we've covered his uh, greater glory theodicy, focusing on not man at the center, belly looking, oh, woe is us, but looking at why there is a woe with us. And it's ultimately pointing to God's glory. So that's his theodicy that he's put forth. And we've covered kind of the incarnation, uh, the suffering servant, and uh, now uh, we're uh, well, the suffering redeemer, and now we're talking about the cosmic redeemer, the uh, the the one that you make the movies about. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we are in chapter sixteen, the cosmic redeemer. And uh, and he starts off by saying that the grand storyline of biblical redemption is not confined to the rescue and reconciliation of a handful of desperate souls. It encompasses the restoration of all things. And of course, he references Acts three twenty one there. Evil is met by Christ in two different ways. It's met by the humble and crucified lamb at the cross. That's Revelation 5.12. But it is also met by the resurrected one glorified as a lion, verse 5, who will return to earth in a colossal display of far-reaching power. Right. It's, so, it's, the, it's the one that the Jews wanted off the bat. It's, it's the so ones that they wanted to come in as, you know, the... Powerful their Messiah and, who comes yeah. in and takes over. All right, a, a cult that yeah. no one has ever ridden on. I'm, I'm sure it, th- this is just the, the the Trojan horse type deal, and and he's going to come in and smack down the Romans. Yeah. Well, instead he dies. Right. Yeah. But then, but then he rises again, and yeah. that's that's the the upswing, and uh, and now we're we're getting to the to the higher J shape of <laughs> of, of of the the. The uh, meta narrative of, right, of the history. upper part of the J, there, right? Right. right. Yeah. That, that's uh, that's what we want in the theodicy is is not was was the evil worth it and is all evil kind of taken um, taken care of in the good and right. so that's that's what he's uh, that's what he needs to uh, do with this the second part. And Christensen tells us that uh, without Christ as judge, that is the lion. Right. The glory he receives as the redeemer, the lamb, would be severely uh, muted. 
right? What enhances the glory of Christ lies in the juxtaposition of his inglorious path to the cross with his undiminished status as a risen Lord and King of the universe. And so he wants us to uh, consider this cosmic scope of redemption uh, and its implications for the greater glory theodicy that he's put forth. Right. Uh, so we start out with uh, Christ as both lion and the lamb. And so he says that we expect Christ as the judge of all humanity to met out justice. We have no warrant to assume his mercy. Mm. All perfect, all, uh, you know, big God uh, would take any slight against him as offense. And since he is all knowing, all perfect, all powerful, uh, obviously he's going to wipe us out. Right. Because right. we have done evil. We've done things against him. We, we're the we're the glitch in the computer program that the the person goes oh I don't like that and deletes That's the key right. delete yeah, yeah. <laughs> but God doesn't do that uh, so He has mercy a sin filled world ought to be prepared to face an unrelenting wrath and retribution not the offer of His pardon so what we should expect is not heaven right. uh, or you know the, the, there's there's no grace to be had uh, what we should expect uh, from all our stories is is justice is 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 the, the removal of, of, of the bad. What should confound us is that the Son of God would himself meet up with the same wrath that he ordinarily and rightfully imposes on the guilty, yet gladly heaves the severe weight of it on his own innocent shoulders, mm-hmm. all because he is eager to pour out his mercy on many unworthy vessels of wrath. And, of course, that's hearkening back to our Romans 9 there. Right. So he takes... What we should get, right, is basically what he's saying. Right? Which, which is the, the the surprise. It's it's the it's the crux of the Christian message. It's it's not uh, let your your good good deeds and your bad deeds be be weighed upon the scales. It's not uh, if you can find some sort of enlightenment to transcend the ability to find enlightenment. Uh, uh, there, there's no uh, you're gonna live again as a bug until you're a really good bug and then you move up to the cow. That's right. Uh, but, uh, but it's Christ, it's, it's God coming down, taking on human flesh and, and paying the penalty and absorbing the wrath of, of, of God. And so Christensen tells us that the, the triumphant aspects of Christ's atoning death is known as the Christus Victor. Yeah, right? exactly. This metaphor serves as a bridge between Christ's humiliation, right? When he, came uh, in the incarnation and his exaltation at the end when he you know rises above and rules and that sort of thing and so he tells us that while death marks the work of redemption that christ accomplished during his first coming christus victor as a descriptor of that atoning work begins to hint more directly at the raw power that uh, christ's broader cosmic work of redemption employs in his resurrection and then obviously in his second coming right right so it's that, that powerful king um, motif uh, that uh, that kind of we we would come to expect. Christus Victus uh, Victor uh, speaks primarily of the victory over evil that Christ's death secured, but it also encompasses the triumph over death that Christ's resurrection secured, the establishment of Christ's lordship and his exaltation, and the final triumph over evil forces that will occur at his second coming. So again. Um, th- this is this is the the highlighting of his kingship. So uh, he his his first message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he throughout talks about him uh, as being Lord. Uh, you know, c- commanding the seas, uh, commanding disease. Uh, you know, commanding 
uh, the powers of, of evil uh, to, to flee from him. Uh, he uh, allows angels to um, come to him and, and minister to him uh, after the temptation. Uh, he shows his deity and his power and his lordship over those things and ultimately from death and then into, into resurrected life and then establishing then his, his kingdom um, as, the, the, uh, as the slain lamb. And yeah. we, we see that in Revelation, and uh, he'll, he'll get into that a little bit, but I thought that was a, a good point that he, he makes on, on how Jesus is seen kind of post-resurrection uh, or exaltation. And uh, so he gives us here um, Hendrik Blocker's uh, what he calls five key metaphors used in Scripture to circumscribe the the atonement, yeah. right, to kind of describe the atonement. The first one uh, is that it was a sacrifice of atoning value and efficacy, right? So it was it it was a sacrifice that accomplished this atonement. Secondly, it was a judicial execution and infliction of penalty. So this was capital punishment, mm-hmm. right? He was um, uh, paying the penalty for our sins, mm-hmm. right? So it was a judicial execution. It was a payment of ransom that redeems uh, beneficiaries unto freedom. Notice not only did he pay the penalty for our sins, but he ransomed us, right? So he brought us out of you know, this condition that we were in. So the penalty was paid in order to bring us out. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the idea of ransom here. And so consequently, it was the victory won by the lion lamb over the enemy, the whole power of evil. So he um, sacrificed himself as an atoning sacrifice that accomplished this, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, salvation for us. It was a payment, a judicial execution. It was a ransom that brought us out of the slave market of sin, as it were. And it was a victory, he says, won by the lion lamb over the enemy. Right. And so finally, synthetically, putting it all together, it was the true Passover, right? So notice he, what he's going to suggest here is that the Passover then is a picture of all of this happening. The Passover metaphor, he tells us, pulls all of the images together. The Paschal Lamb employs sacrificial and judicial aspects of the atonement. That's one and two that we'd said. Together with the ransom redemptive aspect, that's number three. The Passover, he says, celebrates the exodus and reminded Israel of how Yahweh went before her as a victorious deliverer, number four, rescuing her from uh, from the oppression that she, um, Israel found in Egypt, right. so it put it all to Passover. Put this all together. Yeah, it, it's it's probably one of the reasons why the Passover, the 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 Exodus, is so heavily focused on in the Old Testament. It's calling back to remember when I did you, uh, did this, and I'm I'm taking these these small steps in 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 uh, you know the uh, the being excluded from the land uh, with Babylon or Assyria or, you know, uh, however many, many times uh, Israel screwed up. It was, it was always, <laughs> they needed to step back and, and, and look back to what they were being redeemed from, from slavery into, into new life, into the promised land. And so that same motif is also hearkened uh, many, many times in the new Testament. And we, we see, um, you know, the, the, uh, the law uh, as- ascribed here and, and the purposes of that and showing a high bar and uh, needing that high bar to be there so that when 
um, God himself in the flesh comes that only he is able to um, fulfill all the law. Right, to make what needed to be done. And not just as a man, because then he's good for himself, right. but he has to be God in order to, to pay. Right, to apply it to yeah. everybody. Right, right. and yeah. throughout time, too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right, so uh, from crisis to victory, the crisis of disobedience in Eden resulted in humanity's enslavement and sin. Furthermore, the whole world now lies in the power of the evil one. Mm. Our good friend Satan there. Yet the anticipation of victory over evil was already declared in Eden before the infestation started spreading across the crushed <laughs> landscape. The seed of Eve was prophesied to crush the head of the serpent. At the very moment, I mean, you know, God comes and, and says, on, on your belly you will crawl and your seed and, uh, and their uh, expulsion from, from the garden. But it's a it's it's a foregone conclusion already. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's it's a done deal, the, the, right? There, there's your gospel message. Yeah. Uh, you you have creation one, you have order two, uh, the fall in Genesis three, and then slightly into Genesis three, you also have up. Oh, here's the end of the story. That's right. Well, this, this is this, <laughs> yeah. You don't have to read this anymore. Is a terrible right? story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, how dare you give, yeah. give me the ending to it? <laughs> so how is Satan defeated though? Uh, Christ defeats Satan again. The Christ is victor by removing the ground of Satan's accusation, which Jesus does by paying the penalty of sin. As, uh, as we call it, uh, penal substitution there. Right, right. So he's defeated by his inability to, even though he is the accuser, Christ removes Ac- the ground. <laughs> yeah. He removes the ground out from under him so we can't be accused anymore. It's, it's a done deal, right? right? It's been paid for. Right. It, so it's no longer can he accuse us. Right. right. Yeah. Again, the, this, this idea of law and, and court and order and reignship and, and kingship is, is there um, in, in the, it, from Job to, to um, the garden motif uh, sp- spread throughout uh, the entirety of the Bible. And it's not, uh, you know, cartoons of the devil and God grabbing, <laughs> grabbing different people and saying, oh, this one's mine. It's, no, they're all gods. And Satan is allowed to operate within the confines of God's kingdom. Right, right. And so, you know, this Christus Victor ceases to be victory without, uh, Christensen tells us, penal substitutionary atonement, right? right? In other words, taking our place. Um and um, <clears throat> uh, the New Testament consistently links Christ's triumph over evil and satanic powers by means of his atoning sacrifice on the cross. So Paul, in uh, Galatians 1.4, gives a clear expression of this when he says that Christ gave himself for our sins, there it is, right, to deliver us from this present evil age. Right. right? All right, so putting sin and Satan in perspective. Very important. <laughs> the sacrificial judicial orientation in which scripture situates the atonement places Christ's victory over the forces of evil in perspective. We dare not emphasize the defeat of satanic powers as ex- at the expense of Christ's defeat of human sin. Mm. Bondage to Satan has resulted from rebellion against God. That's, uh, you know, you are, you are slaves to your, your children of your, the, the, of your father, the devil. Uh, Christ subscribes that to to um, the, the Jewish leaders and something, uh, you know, unfathomable, uh, unless if it's true. And so, <laughs> yeah. so if, if the holiest men who uh, take the 600 and some odd laws and then apply even more laws to it to, to and, try and, and get you to be holy. Right. And God's chosen people, yeah. right, who he separated and <laughs> redeemed, right, in yeah. the Exodus, yeah. right. But no, 
not good enough. You're still <laughs> slave to, to, to Satan here. So that, that bondage to Satan has resulted from rebellion against God. Sin is not primarily the result of Satan's assault on our parents, Adam and Eve. Scripture lays the primary emphasis on Adam's disobedience to God. It's not Satan came in and he uh, took Adam's hand and, and he placed it on the apple and then he brought it to his <laughs> mouth and, and chomped his chompers and, yeah. and massaged his throat so he swallowed and like, oh, look, he did it. That's right. No, no, no. The devil made me do it. <laughs> yeah, right, right. He he might ha- have have the 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 hissing in your ear, but uh, but uh, it's it's still uh, primarily on on us. Yeah, so that's right. He is not an innocent victim of Satan's evil, that's but a right. willing participant in the plot to overthrow God's authority. Yeah. So so even though Christ defeated Satan, uh, the issue was our sin, man's sin, right? And so we can't blame all of that. Uh, we can't blame it on Satan. Right. It was the decision, the choice that Adam made. To sin, basically to rebel against God, to go against uh, his commandments. And that was the issue that needed to be dealt with. Yeah, and if, if it was the other way, then the judgment would just be against Satan in the garden. Right. All right, out of here, and then some other means would, would be employed. But, right. but uh, you know, he, he's, he's uh, cast out, um, but he still has some, some leeway into the kingdom by, by we, we see in Job, and Job 1 there. Um, but uh, Adam and Eve are, are thrust away from the garden. They're clothed. They're they're hidden uh, as as they wanted to be hidden in the garden. Uh, their 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 special relationship that they had walking uh, with with God in the the coolness of the garden, uh, an intimate relationship uh, that that doesn't come up until uh, Abraham, a friend of God, Moses, a friend of God, David, a, a friend of God. Uh, th- that co- close relationship is ascribed to each of those men. Uh, showing God entering into that and the covenants that are made with within uh, the scope of those.